Welcome back to Tesseract. I'm Steve Cartwright. And I'm Bob Stevenson. Now, I can't believe I'm getting ready to say this, but in light of the siege at the U.S. Capitol last week, we're talking about Christian nationalism. Now, one of the most powerful images I saw in that footage from a week ago was that of an individual holding a cross with a sign that said, God, guns, and Trump. To be honest, that cross was all I saw that denoted Christianity that day at the Capitol. And since we have been excited to dialogue about this together. To be clear, I condemn the actions of last Wednesday, as well as the ideology and rhetoric that gave it life or made it possible. And as we discuss Christian nationalism in today's episode, it will not be from a lens of outrage culture, nor one of making excuses for the church. Rather, as always, it'll be an attempt to explore the integrated Christian walk in light of the ways it has been dismantled. So the past week has been pretty chaotic, trying to sort through everything that happened last Wednesday at the Capitol building. And, you know, there's been a lot of argument about who's responsible, who the bad actors were. But one thing that we have to come to grips with is the fact that there was a clear Christian presence. As Steve mentioned, there were crosses, uh, and we saw uh, Jesus saves signs. Um, Jack Jenkins did some really interesting reporting, and uh, he quotes a woman who says, to me, God and country are tied. To me, we're, they're one and the same. We are founded as a Christian country, and we've see how f- we, we see how far we've come from that. You saw a lot of folks who were praying at this rally. You saw the, 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 the pinnacle for me was the video of a Christian flag entering the Senate chamber uh, along with the other insurrectionists. What do we do with this imagery? Why in the world is Jesus placed in the middle of all of this violence? Now, in order to answer that question, we have to explore a phenomenon that is called Christian nationalism. Now, Christian nationalism isn't just patriotism. Uh, It's not just Christians who care about their country. Uh, It's defined this way uh, by sociologists as a phenomenon where uh, Christianity and nationalism are smashed together or conflated in a particular way way. Uh, Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry wrote a really helpful book on Christian nationalism called Taking America Back for God. And they describe it this way. They say, Christian nationalism is a cultural framework, a collection of myths, traditions, symbols, narratives, and value systems that idealizes and advocates a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. But the Christianity of Christian nationalism is of a particular sort. Now, this is important, okay? So they say, we do not mean Christianity here as a general meta-category, including all expressions of Orthodox Christian theology. Rather, they go on and they say, on the contrary, the Christianity, quote, of Christian nationalism represents something more than religion. As we'll show, it includes assumptions of nativism, white supremacy, patriarchy, heteronormative, along with divine sanction for authoritarian control and militarism. It is as ethnic and political as it is religious. That last line is really important. It is as ethnic and political as it is religious. Now, some folks have taken umbrage to this idea of Christian nationalism and said, like, hold up, like, that's not who we are. Like, we believe in Jesus. We hold to Orthodox Christianity. You can't, um, you shouldn't call it Christian. And, and, and the point that 
um, Perry and Whitehead labored to make is there are elements of Christianity that are fused into this, which make it something else. It's not really a religion. It's, uh, it, it is more than that. So how do we know what Christian nationalism is? Well, to measure this, they uh, did research uh, drawing from the Baylor Religion Survey, and there are six questions uh, that they utilize to help gauge um, whether one uh, tends towards Christian nationalism. So there were questions such as the federal government should declare the United States a Christian nation, or the federal government should advocate Christian values. Or the federal government should enforce strict separation of church and state. The federal government should allow the display of religious symbols in public spaces. The success of the United States is part of God's plan. And the federal government should allow prayer in public schools. And based on how strongly people agreed with that, they were able to create these different groups of people. Uh, they had four different groups. Um, I think it was uh, rejectors, resistors, uh, accommodators, and ambassadors, based on how strong you scored on this scale. Uh, and they were able to use that data to predict how people um, would respond to issues of race, gender, immigration, gun rights, uh, and on and on. So the more someone believes that the federal government should declare the United States is a Christian nation or the the government itself should advocate Christian values or the success of the U.S. is part of God's plan, the more one tends to uh, predictably fall into a certain subset of conservative values. Now, again, by conservative values, we don't mean orthodox evangelical commitments, et cetera, uh, or even like small government, politically speaking. Uh, we tend to mean more authoritarian, more ethnocentric values um, that we've seen in our country and have had to really, uh, really wrestle with. And the strength of Christian nationalism, the power of it, and the thing that makes it most frightening to me is the fact that it weaves in a profound religious commitment to Jesus Christ, to Christian theology and practice, along with this ideal of what the United States should be. And that's a very powerful combination. So that's what Christian nationalism is. But why is it a pressing matter? One of the reasons why I think it is, is because of critique. Now, as Christians, uh, there are some things that there's truths that we hold. Uh, and as Americans, there are also certain ideals that we believe our country was founded on. I'll get to whether we were actually living up to those things. But the point is, is that those are recognized as an ideal, freedom as an ideal. Um, and when we merge our faith with our country standing, I think it can make us impervious to critique. One of the primary ways we've seen this in the past couple of years has been the commentary and reception of Cap or Colin Kaepernick, um, a quarterback in the NFL who had a, a fall from grace from a playing perspective um, because he wanted to protest uh, what he saw and that I agree with as the unfair treatment um, of African-Americans specifically and generally people of color at the hands of police. 
to talk about police brutality, to start a conversation. Now, he is within his rights to have a peaceful protest, um, but he's historically known as uh, being blackballed out of the NFL for kneeling during the anthem. Now, he apparently got the idea for kneeling um, for the anthem uh, from a veteran, but he was seen by many uh, by any fans and even players and also a lot of the ownership of the NFL as being disrespectful to the flag. And this isn't the place for that. Now, that's a whole rabbit hole to go down in terms of critique. When you have a critique and you are peacefully uh, engaging in how to critique your country and how to speak to something that you see as a problem, uh, to say that you need to do this somewhere else really begs the question, where would you like to see it? And that's been a question of mine for a while is like, uh, what is okay? I, uh, if you don't want me to kneel at the anthem, but you don't want me to protest peacefully in the streets either, where is a peaceful place for me? Where is a, an acceptable place that you would like me to protest uh, a reality that I am experiencing, seeing, uh, and living in this country? We weren't ready for that. And that's what sort of made us impervious to that critique because we ended up, it was easier to kick a talented individual out of the league than it was to actually consider what he was speaking to. And uh, and I think that was powerful for me being in grad school at the time when that was going on. I was, I was with Cap the whole time. But to me, it was holding the country accountable. Not as a Christian was not his playing was not the field that he was playing on. He was saying that as an American, I am holding America accountable to the ideals that it claimed. It said that it was this land of the free and home of the brave, and yet it has this place of bias. And so we see the the ideals of a country in that example alone, but in so many others, sort of be eaten away when we can't critique it. All of a sudden, you don't love the country. You're not a patriot if you have something harsh to say about it. Um, and I think that that's really far, far from the truth. And that is a danger of nationalism and is why I'll, I'll lightly say that I am a, I can be a patriot um, and speak to the uh, positive realities that I enjoy, the privileges um, and also the issues that I have with the country and be a patriot, but not a nationalist. And that's a big difference to me. Building on that, uh, one other issue with Christian nationalism is when you bind up the success of our country, of the United States, with the success of God's purposes uh, for the world, then we we become linked up with the success of our nation by whatever means necessary. Now, let me say, obviously, we should seek the good of our country. I mean, I'm a big believer that... Um, uh, as exiles and strangers, sort of like Israel and Babylon, we should seek the good of the city. Uh, we should seek to do good wherever we can, uh, and on and on. But, but to see the United States as sort of this unique instrument of God, and the success of the gospel rises and falls with the um, the success of the United States, well, it gets kind of hairy. And here, here's how. When you start linking up Jesus and the United States, um, you start running into some conflicts. For example, it's really hard to turn the other cheek when you're a global superpower. Uh, you know, like you can only do that so far. Uh, and so we compromise, we make alterations. We say, well, you know, uh, Jesus is, is central to our country. We're one nation under God, but, you know, we also need to go to war or we also need to do this or that. Uh, the theology becomes a theology of glory, not one of suffering, mm. which is so critical to the Christian life. And so we 
we compromise our uh, fidelity to Christ because we're trying to hold these two things together in equal tension. Um, and, and so we, all, we do other things, too. We seek to conserve what we imagine Christianity to be. I mean, think about the whole, the whole catchphrase, make America great again. What again was uh, the president referring to? It was uh, sort of a 1950s America. But, you know, how are we doing in 1950s America, Steve? Like, were we doing great? No. no. <laughs> we weren't, no. I mean, obviously. So you, you get... You, you get captive to certain visions of what um, our country should look like um, as a Christian that simply aren't accurate. I think that's true. And I think as a result, we've also had this sort of relinquishing of our, of our call, uh, of the call that, that God has given us to be those who do justice and love mercy and to walk humbly with him. Uh, I think that we've seen, uh, the world, meaning sort of like from a primarily non-Christian place, this world is preaching justice to the church now. Um, and I, I, I say that the term church here a little bit loosely because not necessarily everyone that is claiming to be a Christian is so. Um, and so uh, there's, of course, to, that has to be ironed out. But speaking broadly to those who claim to be a part of the church uh, and that you're having a segment, a large segment of the country, of even the world, who are speaking on issues of social justice and looking at it from a, a particular lens that is not a Christian one. And in my opinion, those lenses are noble, um, or as I had a friend sort of describe to me, uh, they understood uh, their understanding of socialism was trying to do good without God. Um, and that's not complete, but I think that we see a lot of people in the fight for justice today and historically, trying to do so not necessarily through a Christian lens of seeing God as the creator of justice, as the one who has called us to do justice in this world. So again, you have the church being preached to saying that Black Lives Matter, saying that equal justice for all. Um, and that is that is something that can only be seen as a problem. When the Christian is not the one doing justice, the one the Christian is the one being reminded, being preached at to do justice. There's something wrong with what the church is doing. So we can't abdicate that throne of responsibility. We can't relinquish um, that call on uh, on the body of Christ to to be about justice. But it's harder to do when we've we had this huge dichotomy um, for so long. This two party system that has said that there's the religious right. Uh, the moral majority, if you will, and they are the ones who really care about lives because they care about abortion. Um, they care about ending abortion, uh, but that's sort of it, you know. Um, and and that just can't be. There's so much more that the Christian is called to do, uh, and so I think that this whole idea about Christian nationalism really uh, speaks to all other areas that we're trying to address as believers, that we're even trying to address on this podcast. Obviously, a big one has been uh, what we think about biblical justice. I almost wonder, Steve, if, if that might be part of the reason for the resistance um, among so many Christians in particular, um, you know, I mean, white evangelicals, I, I think for the most part, um, for the resistance to talking about systemic issues of racism or dealing more thoroughly with our, um, uh, our past and, um, 
and you know even discussions <laughs> you know like reparations um why there's such resistance to talking about that because if and I'm not saying that all white evangelicals imbibe christian nationalism at at all um but i i do wonder if this kind of closeness this unity between uh christ and country um has made us more defensive than we ought to be you know the right because the crazy thing about being a christian is you're free to acknowledge how terrible you are as a person like the free the, the freedom that you have in Christ is the ability to say like I am worse than I know I am because Jesus has already paid that debt, um, and yet what we find is is the American church so often um, making excuses for itself in the past, um, and you know, I don't know I haven't really worked this out but I wonder if there may be some sense of uh, you can't bear the thought of the mythology being tainted. Uh, mm-hmm. to a degree. Yeah. <laughs> I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. I, I like the way you put that. Uh, my dad, uh, for years, has always said we're the United States of amnesia um, because we mm-hmm. would, uh, we didn't, we haven't always learned from our mistakes um, or we haven't typically learned from our mistakes. So you see different iterations of the same problem like we discussed on um, other episodes. But uh, I think that that comes out a lot. And I also, just to briefly pause before I get into that amnesia piece, I, I also think it's worth noting that there's a reason why we're honing in on sort of this white evangelical connection with Christian nationalism because uh, it, because of its unique place in um, in not only the, polit- the, the most recent uh, presidential administration, um, but sort of the courting of the evangelical vote has been a reality for a long time has been a reality for a long time. And so for me, there's certainly lessons for Christians as a whole not to fall into Christian nationalism. I come from a uh, a black church. I attend a black church. And there are members in my church who grew up in the South during the civil rights movement. Um, and so remember, uh, you don't have to convince them that racism exists. You don't have to convince them that the church has not always been on the right side of history. Uh, so it doesn't make us impervious to critique either us, meaning like the black church or different, you know, different segments of Christians in the U.S. But there's a unique place right now for this commentary that we're talking about with the nationalism, because uh, as a whole, Christians have got to get out of bed with this nationalism idea. Now, to that amnesia piece, that goes back to what we were talking about around critique, I think, mostly, right? Like, you will really buy into this, not only history, but this mythology, as you put it, if you can believe that we really were this great, that we are a shining light for the world to see. And I think in some ways, when you look at our economy, when you look at the amazing ascent in terms of time, America is pretty young in relation to the world, in relation to the world. And yet the amount of success that it's had in term in success, meaning power and meaning money, uh, it's unprecedented. But then you have to ask the question, if you're going to go down that road, you have to ask the question of how. Uh, and I would contend that any time that you introduce hundreds of years of free labor, you are going to build exponentially um, if that is the backbone of your economy. So from there alone, slavery is a, is a huge one. Uh, women's right to vote, all of these different things that typically are around exclusion right? The Chinese Exclusion Act, Japanese internment camps, all of these ways in which we have othered people uh, in the U.S. is painfully ironic, um, but really speaks to our ability to forget 
what is the most painful or what is the biggest blemish on our record? Because then that would make it too complex, right? It would be too complex to talk about, oh, I really, uh, really respect this Christian, but they had this blind spot that I don't agree with. And I didn't just, and by blind spot, I mean, they owned other humans, you know, or they had this really harmful piece of their theology that played into their practice. So that staying away from amnesia and going more into a healthy understanding uh, of our country is pivotal in breaking down some of these chains of nationalism that have hold us. Because if you really do look at yourself and the, your country, everything as as fallen, as, uh, as having these blemishes, you will have a healthier view of what it really is, not just what you've been told it is. And the most critical piece in this entire discussion um, is, is really a theological one, right? That um, when we're talking about Christian nationalism, it's not it's not that patriotism is bad. You know, we're, we're not here to promote anarchy or anything like that. Um, what we're really concerned about is that we're in a, in a weird way, combining Jesus plus something else. I, I once wrote a blog post for my church, like why we're not going to sing patriotic songs um, on Sundays. I don't know if you ever had this growing up at, at, in your church, but like people would come to me on the 4th of July and be like, Hey, are we going to sing, you know, America the beautiful or something for in our worship service? And I was like, uh, no, you know, but it was a part of their experience because it's what you do. And now were they idolaters? Were they, you know, were they committing the sin of syncretism? No, but it's the fact that we can do that so easily. Uh, that's concerning. Yeah. Uh, man, I couldn't, there's so much that I'd love to say about that. I mean, when you think about syncretism from a biblical perspective, it's something that we've understood for, I think, for a while, um, where we're sort of merging ideas, different ideas together. So different ideas, perspectives, ideologies, religions sometimes, and we're trying to put them together, uh, sync them up kind of like you would your series of devices, your electric, electronic, uh, electronic devices, uh, and um, and and have them on the same page and have them work together for you, right? Um, and we've seen biblically that that doesn't work. A popular example would be when Paul is writing to the, the church at Colossae and where Paul is speaking about the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. And in that equation, as uh, Dr. Dates put it, um, I've heard him put it before, uh, G, uh, Christ plus nothing equals everything. Um, and so you can't add these old ways that you used to do things um, or, or these new alternative ways. You can't add any of these things to Christ and the sum is going to come together and save you. You can't take pieces from different religions, different ideologies, merge it with Christ and together you'll get salvation. To do so would suggest that it takes more than Christ to save you, which is obviously wrong and won't work for us. And so I right. think as Christians, that is that is pivotal to get is that, no, there is no... Uh, with Christ and with guns and with my country, I'm going to make it. Oh, like remove those things, you know? Um, and some of them are more sinful, more problematic than others. There are some that if you were going to use this equation language, be kind of like a zero, be like, let's say five plus zero equals five, five being Christ, right? If you had a zero, like, okay, you don't need that. That's not necessarily harmful uh, because the it's not trying to change the sum, but uh, it's a little deceptive, confusing, and probably not helpful for you. Then there's other ones. It's like five plus four equals five. 
that's not going to work. This equation has been messed up because you're trying to you're changing the whole set of it. So um, we've got to get this down. And I think syncretism has is a big part of what it means to be a Christian nationalist. Okay, so now we need to ask, <laughs> where do we go from here, right? Um, I think it was Caitlin Beatty who tweeted something recently about how the church has a discipleship problem after the the events last Wednesday. Um, and that's an interesting way to phrase it. I think it's true. Uh, Christian nationalism is a discipleship issue. We need to help Christ's people think well about what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus who proclaims that he is Lord while also being American citizens. Now, I think one of the the, the frameworks for thinking about this that, I, I don't know, at least from my perspective, tends to get uh, underused, underutilized, is the, the idea of being a sojourner and a stranger. Uh, so First Peter is an excellent resource for us in times like this. Peter um, calls us exiles. He calls us, um, you know, uh, s- strangers in our own land. I uh, wrote a piece for Mere Orthodoxy a couple months ago, and um, the the title is "Citizen Strangers." You know, we are citizens of the United States, but we're also outsiders. We don't really belong here, and th- the reason that we have this uh, exilic status is that our ultimate and total allegiance belongs to Jesus. So we have an identity intention. We have a displaced sense of belonging. We proclaim Christ as crucified and resurrected. We are inviting the world to follow Jesus. And so we live in this kind of overlapping space right? Where Jesus is Lord, and yet we have obligations to our society. And we want to see our our society succeed. We want to see good things happen in the United States. But when not just push comes to shove, but even when things are fine, it's Christ is all. And because Christ is all, then we can seek the good of our country. Then we can vote according to our conscience. Then we can um, pursue justice. Then, you know, we can do all these things out of that relationship with Jesus. But as long as our American identity is a dominant one, then we're going to run into this tension. But as long as Christ is all and in all, then we're going to find ourselves feeling out of place here. And that's okay. We need more of that. We need to be weirdos and strangers in the best way, in the biblical way in this country. Hmm. You know, oh my goodness. Uh, uh, this is getting me. We're going to have to do another episode. We're going we're gonna to need to do a part two for this for sure. There's so much here. There's so much here to cover. Uh, and I, and as we've been talking about America, I think there's a part about nationalism that is completely domestic, but then there's also a part that is in comparison to other countries that is in defense from other countries because we are under threat. And so that idea about be careful of, uh, the other, that fear of the other, um, whether it be socialism or what's considered by some to be its big brother communism, we've, we've had anti-communist propaganda given to us for years. So that is part of the, not only the anti-American way, it is 
because it's anti-American, it is also anti-Christian. And so we examine, open up the hood around socialism and, and, and communism in ways that we simply don't do with capitalism um, because it is a hallmark of what it means to be an American, ergo a Christian or part of the Christian nation. So there's so much more there. And I, I also think just real quick, like from a political standpoint, we've we got to examine it as we are because as Christians, if we can iron this out as the church, that will make us less likely to succumb to political pandering that happens every single election cycle for years. You know, um, there is the uh, we need someone who's going to stand with our votes. And now it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like for ab- abortion is like the flagship for or for uh, um, for so, so many in, in white evangelicalism. Um, and we need to stand up against abortion. They're killing babies. We have to stop this now. I'm not totally sure how much each election affects that because Roe v. Wade was wasn't that in the 70s. And we've had a majority conservative Supreme Court um, for a lot of this time since. And we we're we're not anywhere close to to changing Roe v. Wade. So sometimes I wonder how much of an issue that is going to be politically um, versus how much there is this social discourse and changes that are going to happen outside of uh, the political landscape. But that being said, I think we have people who have been elected into office largely by our hand, uh, and they haven't always represented our values. In fact, they have often lived lives that were very antithetical to what it meant to be a Christian and haven't shown any fruit. But because we thought they would protect our interests, we went along with them anyway. And we've seen the dismantling of our witness as a result. We've seen the discrepancies that even have non-Christians calling us out, saying that even I know that's not what Christians do. Um, and so I think that's a real that's a real problem that we're going to have to continue to speak to. So what I got from this is you're a communist sympathizer. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this. <laughs> okay. Somebody's going to jump on this. But, so I should probably start off the end of this episode by saying that I am not a communist. <laughs> so I think it goes without saying that this is really a, a critical issue for the church, not just because it's a uh, sort of a fad thing right now. A lot of people are talking about it. But because we're seeing so much um, of this fusion happening now in practice, we saw it at the Capitol. We're seeing it so much in the discourse and the the, the discussions happening online. Um, we're seeing uh, a lot of this feeding into conspiracy theories, and it can be almost overwhelming to try to track with it all. But that's why we have to focus our attention on Jesus as he is and, and really pushing hard into this exilic theology piece. You know, a lot of what we've been talking about uh, can be summed up as the pursuit of truth. Hmm. Trying to have truth um, exist again is, is something that's not something that's not easy in an age, not only of fake news, but also the claiming of fake news whenever there's something that you don't like or want to hear. Um, and pursuing truth is like pursuing hard answers. We can't be intellectually lazy, uh, giving into easy conspiracy theories because they're easier for us to accept um, than a more nuanced, complex truth. And I think this was really dri- driven home for me from a commencement speech that I was watching to Harvard in 2018. It was by Chimimanda Ngozi Adichie. She is a best-selling author from Nigeria, and she talked about telling the truth. Um, she said that telling the truth doesn't mean it'll all work out, but she said to do it because you will sleep well at night And get this, she said, there is nothing more beautiful than to wake up every day holding in your hand the full measure of your integrity. 
She encouraged the students to err on the side of truth um, and that uh, telling the truth was so important and that people can be remarkably resistant to the facts that they do not like, but to not let that silence you from speaking the truth inwardly and outwardly. She said, even if there's no value on the other side, there is value in knowing what that other position is and to listen to that other side. And then finally, she said, democracy is always fragile and that justice has nothing to do with the political left or the political right. Oh, that's good. And as we're talking about, I love that line about the about having your integrity, holding on to that. Um, and that's what we're talking about in this podcast is trying to think about what it means um, to pursue integrity, the integrated Christian life, being who we are through and through, and what it means to follow Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. And if Jesus is true, he's got a matter for everything, every part of our lives. We've got to hold fast to that. That's good. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you listening. Um, we want to keep this conversation going. And we believe these conversations are best had with friends. So we would love to hear from you. We're on social media, on Facebook at Tesserae Podcast, uh, on Twitter at Tesserae Podcast. And uh, we'd love to hear what you thought about this week's episode, uh, what you agreed with, what you didn't, what you were confused by, what you found illuminating. Or if you just like Steve's voice, we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Till next time, this has been Tessera. <laughs> <laughs>